What's good, everybody? Welcome into the Mid-State 48, where we try to get you ready for Friday night in 48 minutes or less. And we plan on doing that this week. So let's get started. Let's bring the guys in. Tom and Scott, how are you? Good. Doing well. What's this right. or less you keep saying? Or less. I know. Less. It's like it's, it's one of those things like uh, Domino's back in the 80s when they had their 30 minutes or less delivery. We try to deliver in 30 minutes, but... We haven't done it yet. We've, we've been over three. So no, no kidding. I ordered a pizza Saturday and it's still not gotten here. So uh, I, I don't know how many free ones I get out of that. Right. You got plenty, I would imagine. So uh, yeah, we're, we're owing three in that regard, but uh, going to mix it up a little bit this week. We try to change that and we'll see. We'll show you about that in just a little bit, but uh, let's dive into what happened last week. The first week of region play around the area. Uh, I want to start with a question about what might've surprised you guys the most. Ooh, what, Surprised us the most uh, of what happened last week. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what surprised me the most was uh, Station Camp. Station Camp surprised me last week. They uh, uh, they actually played well last week. And um, that was probably one of the biggest things that, that surprised me. Off the top of my head. There's another one out there, but I'm, it's eluding me right now. Yeah. Or maybe it's one that you might have attended. We'll get to that in a minute, too. For me, it may be the way Independence just dominated Centennial 35 to nothing. Uh, you know, I think we all felt pretty confident that uh, that Independence had the edge in that game. But uh, they literally shut Josh Horsey completely down. I think 51 yards on 24 carries and uh, lopsided 35 nothing game. I think a good strong statement win for independence. We've talked about them, how they came out of the gate and had to play CPA and Lipscomb Academy right out, right off the bat. So, uh, you know what? I, I think they'll be better for it in the long run. And uh, they sure did look good against Centennial last Friday night. I think for me, it's Answorth. I mean, Answorth goes on the yeah. road to the number two team in AAA and then handles them, not just beats them, but handles them quite impressively. And I think we undervalued Answorth coming into the season. They're kind of showing us why right now. So uh, tip of the cap to the Tigers for that performance in week three. Um, Scott, you got a question, I guess. Well, no, I just had uh, one one other thing that really surprised me is the uh, 0-3 start for Brentwood. That that was a, yeah. a big one. I think nobody saw that coming. Um, well, I can't remember if any of us saw it coming, but uh, 0-3 at the, beginning, uh, at the beginning of the season, I don't think any, if you'd uh, you know, laid odds on that, uh, somebody would have cleaned up if they if they had it. So, yeah, I have to agree with that too. I mean, I mean, the the, the close loss to Blackman in Week One is kind of still hanging over, mm -hmm. like at this point. And their schedule's not getting any easier either because they go to Henry County this week, and region play is going to be tough. So, Brentwood's got an uphill climb right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, let's start with uh, Scott. The game you were at Friday, uh, Beach at Hendersonville, Battle for Drake's Creek, and. Speaking of surprises, I was surprised by this result. Well, I was surprised. I, I, I can't say that I was surprised by the actual result, but by the way the game, uh, just how well Hendersonville uh, played in this game and how well Beach, how much Beach didn't play well. Uh, the buildup to the game was tremendous. Both student sections were started early. They were they were at each other's throat, and, you know, and. We expected Beach to come out throwing, and they did with success early. In fact, most of their passing yardage came in that first drive. Uh, but they didn't have any luck on the ground all night, and that's just because of the Hendersonville defensive line. They held Beach to 130 yards, 41 on the ground, 87 through the air. Um, Jackson Ford, uh, you know, the the commanders just harassed uh, the beach quarterbacks all night, got them into predictive situations. And then Ellis Ellis and Torn Baker on the corners, locked down Page and Jolly, held them to two catches each. Mistakes, drop balls, penalties, you know, all that just kind of piled up on beach. But the one thing that really surprised me, you talk about surprises, as much as we thought beach would have success throwing, Hendersonville had great success. Offensive line gave uh, time for uh, Manning to throw the ball, spread it around. But to me, the MVP of this game is the coaching staff. Uh, the first touchdown, it was kind of a, a really weird play. It was, a, it was a pretty cool play. It was just a uh, – they brought the tight end over, uh, and it was just a little pitch. Uh, 
not really a pass, almost more of a, you know, more of a lateral, uh, an inside pitch to the tight end. I asked uh, Coach Beasley later where he got it, and he got it from Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs. So, you know, if you're going to lift somebody, why not the Super Bowl champions, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Scott, one thing that stood out to me in that game was the time of possession battle, which uh, I believe Hendersonville had the ball 30 of the 48 minutes. And uh, you can, of course, testify a little more to this, but I think that says a lot about how well that Hendersonville defense actually did play, that they held them only 18 minutes of total time of possession. They did. And they would get three and outs and, uh, you know, really – they made them one uh, made the Buccaneers just one dimensional, really. They and again, you know, great corner play. Uh, Coach Beasley was uh, praising his defense, but really his defensive backfield for locking down those great receivers. And the, the other thing was the offensive offense did a great job of extending drives and and you know holding on to the ball. They exposed another reason why I think the MVPs of the game are the coaching staff is that they exposed the center of that Buccaneer defense. They saw it on film. They saw they had one safety. They saw they had an area between the safety and the linebackers, and they hit that every play. And when when they started hitting those passes, that middle would loosen up, and they'd hit them with a, a gut punch run, or they'd run around the end and fake one up the middle. So, you know, really it was just a – really a dominating performance I thought by the commandos and that to me, you know, it really impressive uh, for Hendersonville. They did have, you know, the, what we expected, the, the odd, uh, the odd special team snafu gave up a, a punt return for uh, a punt block for touchdown. But uh, that was really about the only misstep in the entire game. Yeah, it's, Big for the commandos because now that gives them the critical tiebreaker in that region race. If it comes down to those two, with if they both lose a game, then it's Anderson Bills to win. So, big, big step for the commandos in region play, even right out of the gate. And at you know, week three is a region week, but it's important in a lot of ways to a lot of teams. And for the commandos, it was so. We'll turn our attention to our spotlight game from last week, which was Riverdale at Blackman. And Riverdale's defense was the star of the show by a long shot. 49-18 to 18 win over Blackman. Eight turnovers forced by the Warrior defense and six interceptions, which they brought three back for scores. Alex Mitchell had a pair of pick sixes. Brandon Korn had an interception return for a touchdown. They kept Blackman pretty much off balance all night. Uh, the Blaze threw the ball 47 times and only completed 18 passes. They, they did not get a rhythm going. This game was also marred by penalties. So we had 28 total, and, and you know, it really kind of had the Blaze offense out of rhythm most of the night. And Chandler Tiger, after the game, said that just that got them kind of in a hole, and they were never able to really climb out of it. They couldn't get a rhythm going because every time they'd have a positive play, a flag would bring them back or something else would happen, and they'd turn the ball over. And just a rough night for the Blaze and some growing pains for their offense too. And we – we talked about them after week one, Tom, and how they played against Brentwood and then didn't get to play in week two against Gallatin because of COVID. I think that week probably hurt them because they, they really needed to be on the field. Yeah, I think it helped a lot or hurt them a lot, I say, just because they never found that rhythm in week one that they wanted to, to get into offensively. And then you miss week two and, you know, Coach Coach Chandler Tigard tried his best to find an opponent because I think he really realized – his team needed to play. They needed to kind of find an ebb and flow there. It hurt them badly, I think, to to not have played in week two. Eight turnovers says a lot about both things, both sides of the ball. The Blackman offense just not finding its groove and just really how good that Riverdale defense is as well. Yeah, they only gave up six points through three quarters, and, and the two touchdowns Blackman did score were in garbage time. So it was 42-6 yeah. for a while there in the fourth. And I got to give you guys credit. Uh, not that – uh, I, I knew that uh, last week when we were talking about these games, that was the one thing that you guys were harping on was the lack of that game and how tough Riverdale's defense would be and disrupting that. And you guys you guys called it, and uh, I'll give credit where credit is due. You guys uh, uh, saw this one coming. And Blackman just never got their pace going. They could not get anything moving, like I said, because of the penalties and because of the turnovers. They were playing from behind the eight ball most of the night, and 
and they were just unable to get anything established on offense. And, and I, they'll get that as the year goes on. But last week was a stark reminder that it's still a fairly young team and they've got a long way to go. So you know, week three, um, some other games, I think, that stood out. You know, Brentwood Academy and NBA both lost. And we talked about, I thought mentioned Mansworth earlier, JP2 over Father Ryan. So it looks like in Division II AAA, you've got JP2 and Answorth. They're kind of leading the way as far as the area teams in that in that classification. And we haven't talked about JP2 as much. Um, we'll pick their game against uh, Independence later on in this show. But Answorth, where they come from? Well, offensively, they're a juggernaut. And, and you're right. I mean, you know, it was like, you know, just quiet. Nobody was talking about them at all. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're putting points up like a pinball machine. Uh, Levi Moore is just incredible back there. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're making a lot of noise. And, uh, you know, for all that quiet we saw earlier in the, in the year, you know, people won't be overlooking them now. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people knew how good Ensworth was going to be because uh, uh, you saw some picks earlier in the season that kind of had them in a three or four slot there. And, you know, what would they do? What do they really have back? A lot of question marks. More question marks, I think, uh, the true answers for Ensworth coming into the season. But uh, guys, as you point out, they've proven they can score some points and uh, they're going to be very dangerous moving forward. Yeah. We'll talk about Ensworth later on as well as they've got Nolansville this week at home. We'll pick their game and talk a little bit more about it in who you got. So uh, let's uh, let's try something new. When we come back after the break, we're going to do a little word association with these guys. This is the Mid-State 48 powered by 615 Preps. So stay with us. We're back right after this. Welcome back to the Mid-State 48. In this segment, we're going to try something a little bit different. We're going to do a little word association. I'm going to throw out a team name to both of our guys and let them talk about those teams for just a little bit as we've gotten through a week of region play. So um, we'll start with Watertown. Um, Purple Tigers have been a bit of a struggle so far. Uh, Tom, give me a start about Watertown. What do you think? Well, we're doing word association. My word was reality. And the reality being for Watertown, they've been so good the last few years, and they've had a, a great stretch of talent. You look back and you see Seth Price, the great quarterback, his brother Heath Price, now Tennessee Tech, who was there, uh, the Ramos Carey, the outstanding running back, Quantarius Hughes Malone. And I'm just mentioning one player from the last few seasons. I'm not talking about all the talent that offense has had. And I'm strictly focusing on the offensive side of the ball because that's been where they've been so good, but they're struggling so much this year. They were doing a down year, and uh, Coach Gavin Webster, he'll have this team back up and back to playing at a high level soon. I think they'll be better at the, at the end of the year, but the reality is what goes up must come down, and I think it's just going to be a tough season for Watertown, a little bit of rebuilding this year. Scott? Uh, my word is Tigger. Um I think that they're right now a little bit more Tigger than Shere Khan. Um, you know, they're suffering a severe power outage. In the last two games, they've only scored 15 points after they uh, had the 20 against Fayetteville. Uh, but much like Tigger and is what Tom played right into this, up and down, bounce back. They they bounce, bounce, bounce. They can bounce right back. Their defense is playing well. I think that they're they end up much better towards the tail end of the season. But for right now, they're just not quite the ferocious Tigers that we know they have been. All right. Next up, White House. Scott, start us. Okay. My word is uh, double yellow. Uh, and the reason, I know it's more than one word, but it's uh, this team fares as quarterback fares, but this team is really good if they're in a no-passing zone. If they can just run the ball, if they can make sure they can run the ball and don't have to pass, then uh, they do extremely well. If Rain and Blackburn's throwing 10 times a game, somebody shut down their running, uh, their passing game. So I think that uh, as long as this team can move the ball on the, you know, on the ground, they're going to, they're going to do well. Tom? My word is focused, and by focused, I mean they better be focused this week as they've got Portland coming to town in a big uh, rivalry game. It's non-region, and White House may be looking ahead a little bit next week. they got a game at Waverly, and that's a big one in uh, in their region. So uh, yeah, I know you don't want to lose non-region games, and you might tend to look ahead a little bit, but I think it's a big game for them against Portland. 
you don't want to let down in a rivalry game when one of the biggest games of your season is coming up next week. And uh, I think White House has got an opportunity to get a home playoff game if uh, they can stay focused. Yeah. Quick note on that Waverly game. We still don't know where that game's going to be played at. It could be a White House. It could be at another field. It could be at Nissan Stadium. We don't know yet. We haven't right. heard yet. So curious to see where that one goes because we knew the Titans were actually going to help Waverly out a couple of times this year. This is one of those games that could actually happen. So right. we'll, we'll kind of keep an eye on that and see where, where they wind up playing that game next week. Uh, Pearl Cone. Tom? Hungry. I mean, I've talked about this all season long. I think Pearl Cone has played with a chip on his shoulder. But last week, they're coming off a Kobe game. So no game last week. And, and now this week, they've got a tough game at Creekwood. But much like Whitehouse, they got to stay focused here because they got a big showdown with Tullahoma. Coming up next week, and you don't want to let down right before a big game that could actually determine the region championship. I still think Pearl Cone is hungry, and despite the fact they had no game last week, I expect them to come out and play fired up Friday night. Scott? Nightmares. This team is playing like a group of men that are running from a bad dream, and they're working to ensure that it doesn't happen again. I'm sure that they've got Milan in the back of their minds all the time. Uh, instead of uh, they're becoming nightmares for coordinators on both sides of the ball, they are excelling on offense and defense, and they're going to be on everybody's mind going forward. Think about Pearl Cone, too. That In that entire region, it's all region games the rest of the way. They don't have another non-region game left because they have a 19-region and eight-region games with both of their non-region games out of the way. They've, they're focused on region games for the entire rest of the regular season. Uh, Scott, station camp. Leatherheads. And what I mean by that, I'm talking about old-school football. They're winning games the old-fashioned way. Defense, taking advantage of turnovers, uh, you know, forcing teams into mistakes. This run may not last forever, but Coach Brent Alexander has this team believing, and he's building something there. And they are doing it through traditional old-school football. Guys, mine is hyphenated to make it one word. Feel good story. They are 3-0 after being 0-10 each of the last two seasons. This is a team that had uh, 32 kids that played considerable amount of football, had at least one start last year. 36 kids in all that saw significant action that are back on this roster this year. I think everybody obviously looked over station camp because they have been 0-10 each of the last two years. But I agree with what you said. The coaching staff is building something special there. And uh, station camp, they're feeling good about themselves right now. Why not? They're 3-0. We're going to stay in that region, Mount Juliet. Tom? Mount Juliet, about to be Road Warriors. Five of their next six games are going to be playing on the road, and it's a key stretch for them. Friday, they go to Warren County, who's yet to play a football game, so it's going to be big for the Pioneers. But Mount Juliet needs to be the seasoned veteran team going in here three games under their belt and get a big win. After that, three region games, they go to White County, they go to Wilson Center, or they're home with Wilson Central, their only home game in that stretch. And then at Station Camp, pretty tough stretch there. And then, of course, they get Lebanon on the road. That's a big rivalry. All of that, guys, right before big game with Hillsboro. So a big, tough stretch coming up for Mount Juliet, and they need to be road warriors in order to get through that and have a chance to win the region championship. All right, Scott. I agree with everything Tom said. My word is popcorn. You know that meme of the guy grabbing his popcorn, sitting back, <laughs> watching intently? That's Mount Juliet right now. This team is operating at a high level and are on cruise control. They're taking care of business. Yeah, sure, the hard part of their schedule is yet to come. And they had 34 varsity players out against Maplewood and won. Their defense is playing lights out. They're watching the carnage that's happening uh, as the teams below them just kind of eat each other. And I think that, you know, right now it's it's uh, interesting to see who's going to come out of that. Yeah, Scott, you made the point that I was going to quickly make is now underneath them, who's number two? We don't know yet. Could it be Station Camp? Could it be Green Hill? Could it be somebody else? We don't know because the way that this, this region is shaped up in the first couple of weeks of region play, it's been some carnage. You're right. So uh, Green Hill, let's mention them. Scott, take off. Okay, mine, uh, let's stay with the movie theme. Mine's Aquaman because it's much like the D.C. part-time player that's burst on the scene. You know, everybody else is kind of the star. All of a sudden, they're bursting on the scene and doing better than expected, but earlier than anticipated, and eclipsing some of their long-standing brothers. A week after winning their first ever away game, they win their first region game against Wilson Central. They're playing solid offense, once again, being opportunistic. We're going to find out how good they are when they visit Hillsborough and White County uh, further. But I think right now this team is playing at a very, very high level. 
For me, for Green Hill, it's on schedule. And I think uh, using the Nolansville model of being a new school and getting to where you want to go quickly, it's falling right in line here for Green Hill. They won four of their last five games last year, and they're off to a two-and-one start this season. Uh, they're beating the teams they're supposed to be. It's what you got to do to be a, a good team and take that next step to go up to a playoff team. I like this young Green Hill program. I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with sooner rather than later. And to me, Right now, they're on schedule following that Nolansville pattern. I think by this time next year, guys, we're talking about a team that's going to be contending for a region championship. I'll throw in a bonus one first because, you know, first row win, first region win, looking for their first playoff spot and maybe even a region title for the first time in their first year playoff eligibility. So a lot of firsts getting knocked down for this new school just in its second year of existence. And Greenhill's been impressive so far. Interesting to see how they keep going moving forward. Uh, Riverdale, Scott, or excuse me, Tom, go first. <laughs> With me, Riverdale threatening. And by threatening, I mean look out Oakland. And I know everyone is looking at this game on October 15th coming up. And how in the world can Riverdale beat Oakland? Guys, the way you beat good teams – Good offenses is with good defense. And uh, yet again, Riverdale proved this past week against Blackman, forcing those eight turnovers. They dominated that game. They kept this high-powered scoring offense of Blackman, you know, just in shambles the entire night. And you better believe that uh, Coach Creasy over at Oakland, he's he's definitely keeping his eye on Riverdale. And on October 15th, and we all know the craziness of what looks to be shaping up another COVID season, anything could happen on that particular night. And you better believe Riverdale certainly hungry for a region championship and to beat their biggest rival. So I think uh, it goes, goes back to defense, and that defense is certainly threatening. Uh, my my word is Vanta Black. Vanta Black is uh, it's that so black that it absorbs ninety nine percent of all light, and that is the Riverdale defense. Uh, my word was almost location because anywhere but in Oakland's backyard, this team would be the odds on favorite in several regions. Their defense is just magnificent, and they swallow up offenses. Um, again, this may be the best uh, remedy to combat that Oakland curse. Uh, is how good this defense is playing. If their offense can just, you know, get better and find a few four-leaf clovers, you know, and uh, then, you know, they may have a chance this year. I'm going to add one for Riverdale, and that's hungry. Um, even in a 49-18 win last week, Will Christ, he was not happy with his guys. They had a lot of personal foul penalties. A lot of uh, a lot of flags went against them. He ripped them a, a new one in that post-game, in that post-game speech, and – they're not satisfied with, you know, even a win over Blackman like that. They played Oakland about as well as anybody did last year, and they came back with a lot of their defensive starters. And Marcus Lloyd at running back, also a big threat for them as well on the offensive side. So, yeah, Riverdale's hungry, and they want another shot at Oakland for sure. Uh, Scott, let's go with Summit next. Fearless. These guys are fearless. You know, you'd think moving up in a region would be daunting for any team, even the state championship but not for Brian Coleman and crew. As long as he's got the Wade boys and they're leading the team, this program's going to have all the confidence and swagger and expectations of a 6A regular 6A team. They're fast, physical, elusive on offense. They play with arrogance and fearlessness, and that should make other teams very, very nervous. My word for Summit is independence. And unlike Mount Julia, we talked about a few moments ago, being the road warriors, Summit is going to be playing in the backyard for a while, 3-0 already on the season. Where will they be on October 8th when they host independence? That will be their fifth and final consecutive home game. Along that stretch, they get Blackman, Centennial Beach, and Ravenwood. Of course, Centennial and Ravenwood are both region games. But, guys, October 8th, where will we see this very good Summit team? Will they have a shot at a region championship? I do believe they have a shot to win the region this year. And I think that game against Independence on October 8th is going to be a huge one. Let's not forget Brady Pierce for Summit. He had three interceptions against Brentwood last week. He's been a big piece of that defense for the last couple of years. I think people don't talk about him as much because of Keaton and Destin Wade. But Brady Pierce is a big cog in that machine, too. Uh, DCA, Tom. You're up. I'm, I'm going to go with patience on DCA. They've got a lot of games coming up, but one that I, I think they're looking ahead to just a little bit is Nashville Christian, and that's not until the very last game of the regular season. What DCA's got to do is be patient, take care of business week in and week, week out. You want to win that game coming up on uh, October 29th, but guys, it's the games between now and then that are going to be the most important for DCA. They just need to be patient, play it, take it one week at a time, one play at a time. Uh, my word is grooving. 
DCA has found the groove on offense with a combination of Ashton Jones and Bradford Gaines. Their defense is creating turnovers, limiting big plays. And right now, there may not be anybody playing better ball in Division II Class A than Paul Wade's Wildcats. Let me uh, direct you guys to something I saw Friday night. Uh, Joe Dubin, a friend of the show, had a video of Nathan Magali's touchdown catch, a one-hander, almost Odell Beckham Jr.-like. If you haven't seen that video, go see it. It's a ridiculous catch by a very talented receiver. So, yeah, DCA is grooving for sure, Scott. You're right about that. Uh, last up, Ensworth. Get us started, Scott. Uh, Death Star. I know it's two words. Um, the, the team delivers all day, every day. They, you know, land or air. Offensively, they're a superior offensive force. And they have all the firepower to destroy teams. But, much like the Death Star, they have some weak spots defensively that can uh, create problems if they don't continue to outscore opponents. Their defense, uh, their their defense really needs to step up and match the offense. But other than that, their offense is just it's killer. I'm going to go with puzzling a little bit for Ensworth because they get two huge wins over uh, Evangelical Christian and uh, Christian Brothers in region, but then they lost to Baylor, kind of sandwiched in between that, and a, a pretty lopsided loss to a uh, you know a pretty good Baylor team, but one I thought Ensworth should have taken care of. Who are we going to see when they play MUS? Who are we going to see when they play Brentwood Academy? They've got some big games coming up in the next few weeks. Ensworth, like you say, Scott, they got all the firepower in the world. The defense, though, is going to be critical coming down the stretch in some of these big ball games, especially at region play. Again, a little bit puzzling for me where Ensworth is. Are they contender or pretender? I'll add Enigma, Enigma to that list because of just what you said, Tom. I mean, we don't know what they're going to be. Um, one week they could be the absolute juggernaut, and then that Baylor loss can come back up again during the season. But uh, what in, what Answorth did last week tells me that they may be more contender than pretender. We'll keep seeing yeah. about them going forward. Uh, yeah, good stuff right there on the Ward Association, guys. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll dive into an extended edition of Who You Got. We'll break down 10 of our area games that we're going to pick this week. We'll do that right after this on the Mid-State 48, powered by 615 Preps. Stay with us. All right, it's that time of the week where we start to pick the winners for some of the best games in the area. Guys, it's time for who you got, and I'm going to bring up the standings from last week. Just a second. And hey, we got, we had a pretty good week last week. So, Tom, congratulations. You're still in first place, as I'm about to show you. Oh, I fell eight. hard. Ah. You didn't fall hard, Scott. You just fell one place. <laughs> Unless by falling hard, you mean that I passed you. And yeah, that's it. Hard. Pretty much. Yeah. Good yeah. All right. All right. At least the cat's still not beating me. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to look him in the eye. Hmm. <laughs> well, Tom and the fans are tied at 22 and 8. I'm a game back at 21 and 9. Scott's two back. Reggie and Drake are four back of the lead as we hit week four. So let's just go ahead and bring in some of the picks for this week. Station camp in Gallatin, and I get to explain first because I'm going lone wolf. I'm taking station camp. I like the fact that station camp has a lot of confidence coming into this game, a big rivalry game in which I think they're still trying to search from some respect and they're not being talked about a ton. And the best way to get people talking about you is to win a rivalry game just like this one. And they have a real chance to do that. They have a, It's a young team, but they're hungry, and they've been pretty good offensively in the first three weeks. So I like Station Camp to go into Gallatin, a team that really still needs to find itself because, yeah, they won last week big over West Creek, but that's West Creek. And now West Creek's not really going to challenge for a playoff spot this year. Station Camp is, and this is going to be a hungry game for them. You know, this was kind of my Reggie game. I set out two treats and decided which one I wanted, and that, that was my team. But, uh, no, honestly, this was one I went back and forth and back and forth on. And, uh, you know, I feel like in a way Gallatins do. Um, it, it, a team that I saw in the preseason that looked like they had a really good defense and a promising offense that certainly needed some work. But uh, I still thought that defense would get them somewhere, and I'm still not giving up the confidence on that. Station camp is impressive, and I would not be one bit surprised to see them win this game. But maybe it's time for the clock to strike midnight for Cinderella and for Gallatin to get back on course. But, guys, I expect this to be a good close ball game. Scott, you're going to be there. 
Yeah. Uh, Actually, no, you're no, not. I'm not. No, I'm game. not. There was a Sorry. there was a, a late surge. Um, speaking of late surges, I expect this game to go down the wire. I really do. I think that. Uh, both teams have tremendous defenses. This one actually could be a 6-3 game. Uh, it could be a 6-3 game and go four hours because for penalties, too. Um, both teams are are struggling with, uh, you know, penalties and things like that. But Station Camp is playing much, much cleaner ball, I think, than Gallatin. Um, you know, they're so thin on the offensive line, young skill positions. Um They've got that great defense. I think they got a really good defense, and they can get Bubba Carter going. I think that in this game, I think, uh, you know, Station Camp is won by hook by crook this week. They're going to be shook. I'm taking the green wave. If this thing ends up 6-3, like you say, you need to be on the next flight to Vegas. <laughs> Seriously. Let's go with NBA and CPA. Who did the gang shoes? It is across the board CPA with the exception of Reggie and Apparently, we don't have video of Reggie because he's got a uh, Labor Day hangover, Scott. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, uh, he is uh, he has been laying in the same uh, clothes basket since I got home. Um, evidently, uh, he was out all night. You know, uh, been nipping the catnip. <laughs> cat yeah, yeah, he's been <laughs> patrolling the grounds. I think that uh, I think that uh, he's been trying to protect the uh, protect his house. Yeah, I'm okay with this pick with NBA, actually, because I think this could be a chance for NBA to bounce back. They've been shaking up a little bit since that week one went over Ravenwood, and uh, they've got to get right in a hurry, and this is about as good a time as any to do it. Yeah, actually, I I was really close on taking NBA. I thought that if CPA was going to have a stumbling block, it was going to be this game right here uh, with NBA coming off a a close loss and, and feeling, you know, just feeling it, but you know, I said, you know, that until CPA knocks uh, somebody knocks him off the hill, I, I can't pull, I can't uh, go against him, and I would be silly to go against that. Yep. I'll tell you what, guys, just to chime in there at the end of CPA, uh, last couple of weeks, their games have been a little bit closer, but their defense has played exceptionally well. I think uh, they've struggled a little bit on offense, but that defense has looked really, really good. And to me, that's what made the difference in this pick for me. I like the way their defense is playing. Yeah. Nolan's full of ends for us. We've mentioned ends for a couple of times in this episode. So let's go ahead and, and knock these picks out. Uh, everybody sided with the ends worth, except again for Reggie. So Guys, what do you like about Ensworth in this one? Uh, why do you think Reggie might have taken Nolansville, Scott? Uh, it may have been because the treat on the left side went a little <laughs> bit further than the treat on the right. Uh, no, I, I think uh, Nolansville is, uh, you know, they're they're getting back into their, their swing, and that's why they're a very dangerous team right now for Ensworth. Uh, and they're a team that uh, can throw the ball, um, and that is, seems to be – uh, if if there's a kryptonite to Ensworth Superman, it's going to be uh, defending the pass uh, with a team that can that can throw and keep up with them. Um, so that would be my guess as to when I can get inside a cat's brain. Um, again, you know, I feed him every day, so you guess who's smarter. Um, but uh, um, guys, don't chime up on my defense. Um, but <laughs> but uh, I. To me, Innsworth uh, is a little bit more powerful. Now I'm talking for me now, and that's I, I I just like their I like Innsworth's ability to score very quickly and score in bunches. The quarterback matchup is pretty fun though, with Levi Moore for Innsworth and then Kobe Walton for Nolansville. And you mentioned the passing game. Well, you've got Chance Fitzgerald on the outside, Ben Coggin on the outside, uh, but Samson Johnson can catch out of the backfield as well. He may be the X factor in this ball game for Nolansville. If they get him going again like he did last week, Ensworth may have some problems on defense. Tom, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think that's going to be a key in this ball game. And uh, do we see Jekyll or Hyde with Ensworth? I, I think certainly they can put up a lot of points. I expect this to be a high-scoring game, but can they slow down Nolansville enough? And Nolansville's playing some pretty good football. they got a good football program. Uh, I, I look for this to be a high-scoring game. I think this is a game Ensworth really needs to stop the the roller coaster, put their foot down, go out there and beat a quality opponent and just really, you know, state to the rest of the state, hey, we're here and we're ready to contend. Yeah. Independence and JP2. And speaking of a team that needs a good performance, so Independence got one last week, could use another one this week after that went over 
after Centennial after that win over Centennial last week. But uh, Scott, you took Independence, so I'll give you the give you the floor. Explain yourself. Yeah, this game was really a toss up to me. Uh, I thought Independence is, uh, you know, they're they're back on the winning side. Uh, you know, they got out there and took care of business against Centennial. Uh, uh, you know, Joe Cumming had a great night. Uh, River Katina, I think that offense is starting to get going again. And uh, JP2, they're, they're one of the teams that can actually throw with JP2, I think. And that's going to be a, a really good matchup. I think it's going to be a really close game, a high-scoring game. I just think in the end, Independence may just be able to, to, to pull it off. Okay. You know, I thought this was going to be one where I might be out on a limb by myself, but the majority of the panel going with JP2 here. I've just been impressed by the way they played so far, and I had Father Ryan against them last week, and they come through with a big win. Uh, I think maybe a lot of folks looked at JP2 and didn't think they had the strength to really make a strong, strong push for maybe not even a playoff spot, let alone to be maybe in the upper echelon of the region, but... Um, you know, for them, Kenny Minchie has been such a big story for them. He had three touchdowns in the game last week, and he's just really rolled up and become a star here at quarterback for this JP2 team. They're playing with a lot of confidence, and uh, uh, I thought maybe Independence would get the nod. Maybe we're seeing them turn the corner a little bit, but I still feel good about JP2 winning this game. Uh, I don't feel bad about Independence's start because you know, they've had a hard schedule. It's not as hard as anybody that's, that they've faced, so – these four games, these first four games, are going to make them better as the year goes on. I think I mentioned this last week, actually. But uh, yeah. you know, they just need a good performance against JP two, win or lose. You know, they don't need to get blown out like CPA or Olympic Academy blew them out. They can keep this thing close and have some confidence going into region play next week. That'll be good for them either way. The Cap County at Watertown up next, and Drake took Watertown in this one. I'm not going to make him explain it, but uh, everybody else takes the Cap County. Scott, your thoughts. Uh, well, you know, I I was worried about DeKalb County coming in after Axel Aldino graduated, um, you know, last year. And, you know, they've had another quarterback step up. Bristrap is uh, playing fairly well. Uh, Watertown has been struggling, though. They've struggled to put up points, which is uh, very odd for a Braden Casino team. Uh, how bad they miss Quinteria Shees Malone, I'm not sure. But right now, I think that DeKalb is just playing. I mean, they were so close. They made mistakes. They gave up a, a pick six and a kick return for a touchdown. And we're still leading with 30-something or with, you know, seconds left in the game. I think this offense is just a little bit powerful, and I don't know that Watertown can keep up. Looking at DeKalb County, yeah, that was a heartbreaker for them last week and how quickly they put that game behind them and it being a region game on top of that. Cam Houston had a magnificent game. I know we didn't talk much about it in the first segment for Macon County, and uh, they scored in the game's final seconds to pull that one out. But uh, DeKalb County Coach Trapp does a good job rallying the troops. And uh, with Briz Trapp, they've got a couple great running backs back there. And and Isaac Knowles, Mr. Swiss Army Knife, and a good offensive line. One thing DeKalb County can do is score the football, and that's been the one thing Watertown's had a whole lot of trouble with thus far this season. Watertown's got to get that running game going. That's the biggest thing for them right now. They've struggled in the first three weeks, and if they don't get it going, then it could be a longer season for the Purple Tigers. But, uh, yeah, I took the Cab County. I think that they'll bounce back from that loss against Macon County, who, guess what, they're next on the list. So we'll talk about them against Trousdale County. Drake, Tom, and Scott with Trousdale County. I'm with Reggie. I'm going with Macon County. I think the Tigers got a big monkey off their back winning last week at home in a big region game. They're playing with house money right now, and they're probably a little farther along than Trousdale County is, in my opinion. If this game is later in the year, Maybe we talk about Shroudsville County winning it, but Macon's playing at a high level right now, and I think being in home will be a big advantage for them. Yeah, I agree with that, and I tell you, I, again, this was kind of a toss-up game for me, and this was the last game I actually picked on the whole list because I kept going back and forth. I don't think we've seen the best of Trousdale County. We had such high expectations for them coming into the season, and I, I hate to say they haven't met the expectations, but they're not playing to the level that we think they're going to be playing come playoff time. Meanwhile, Chris, you had a great point. Macon County gets a big monkey off their back, gets that big win over DeKalb County last week. I like the way they won the football game, the fact that they persevered and they came and they battled back. I feel like I'm almost making a case more so for Macon County, but maybe I feel like this week is where we're going to see Trousdale County turn that corner and we finally start to see that team that we expected to see from week one. See, Trousdale County and Blackman to me are kind of in the same boat. Trousdale County also didn't get to play in week two. They were supposed to play Upperman at home. That didn't yep. happen. So not being on the field, I think, hurts them. 
and they're a little bit behind where I think they should be right now. But uh, Charleston County be fine. Like they're built for November. That's what they're built for. So I would expect them to learn from this game, win or lose, and going forward they'll be better. Scott. Yeah, I think this game's going to be a contrast in styles, and I think it comes down to patience. You know, if the Tigers can be patient, not make dumb mistakes and turnovers, but that's a tall order against a team that is methodical and physical as Trousdale County can be, especially on uh, on the defensive side of the ball. You know, Megan's going to have to be able to run and sustain drives, and if they can't run, being one-dimensional plays right into Trousdale County's defensive back's hands, literally. Yeah. Um, I like the skill in Lafayette. But I think Trousdale County bounces back uh, and uh, gets some big defensive stops and wins this game. The one thing I think Macon County's got going for it is they've been able to win a game both ways, both running and passing. So they're not going to be one-dimensional, and Trousdale County's going to have a tough time defensively trying to make them that way. So that's why I took the Tigers in that one. Let's go to another rivalry game with Portland and White House, the game, Scott, that you are actually going to be at this week. Reggie's yeah. going to Portland, and we're all taking White House on the other side. So uh, – Let's talk about it. Yeah, uh, you know, you, know, you look at uh, White House and you realize how potent this offense is uh, running the ball. And if, uh, you know, like I said before, if, if running back Blackburn has to throw more than 10 passes, uh, Portland's playing some pretty good defense because this team runs. Uh, you know, on the other hand, why pass when you have Brandon Blackburn in, in the backfield? You know, he's a solid two-way player and he can turn you over. It's going to come down to who makes big plays. And with Blackburn in the backfield, they are just so hard to stop. You know, guys, I remember the heyday of this rivalry. I, I know you do, too, back when it was Jeff Porter at White House. And uh, uh, the coach just left my mind for Portland. Perry, Roger Perry was up at Portland, and they just had some knockdown dragouts. And this game seemed like it was a region championship type game each and every year. The rivalry's not gone away even though both those coaches have uh, moved on, the rivalry has not gone away. And therefore, I think it'll be a good football game. Portland will want to make a statement. I like White House playing at home. Like you guys were talking about with the offense, I just think they're a little bit better. They're a little bit farther ahead of where Portland is. And uh, I think White House is looking at the bigger picture all down the road. And, and, you know, they're thinking playoffs. And I know this is not a region game. And like I said earlier, you don't want to look past it, but you want to build on the momentum you have, and this is the kind of game you can do it with. Key note about this series, it is tied at 26 wins apiece for each side. Wow. wow. This is the 53rd meeting, and somebody's taking the lead this week. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, we're all taking White House except for Reggie. He is uh, – I think I see a theme with his picks this week, and we'll, I'll touch on that in a minute. Teagle <laughs> next up. <laughs> And the Blue Devils and the Stars. And, Tom, you're going with Seagulls, so the floor is yours. Lebanon's another team that's been kind of up and down. And I tell you what, Chuck Gentry had a great emotional win uh, for himself personally, not just his football team winning at Cookville last week. Uh, Coach Gentry coached with Coach Jimmy Maynard at Cookville for many, many years, and that was a huge emotional win for him. And I know his football team likely picked up on that. But now you're going to Murfreesboro to take on a Seagull team that's had a pretty nice start. The thing with Lebanon with me is just kind of been a bit inconsistent this year. I thought their offense was going to be a little bit better than what we've seen so far. Their defense has played pretty well. I just I, I don't know. Just a gut feeling of mine says they're going to go to Murfreesboro and Seagull's going to be the better team on Friday night. Well, you know, Seagull's both their uh, uh, their wins uh, come from uh, their last wins have come from behind. They've come from behind. So I give them credit. There is no quit there. You know, they're opportunistic, um, but Lebanon has seen what can happen uh, if they're careless with the ball, we'll, a la Wilson Central, and if they make mistakes. And I just think that uh, that they're, they're going to – Coach Gentry is, you know, pounding that into their head uh, about, you know, what happens when, you, when you're careless with the ball. I think Siegel can win this game. I just – I think the difference maker is going to be Camantes Logue. I think he's going to make a big play or two, either offensively or on special teams, and that'll be the difference in the game. Yeah, emotion may be a big play here because Lebanon had that emotional win at Cookville. Siegel had an emotional loss to Rockville in a game they desperately had to have if they were to have any playoff hope this year. So I don't know if Siegel can bounce back from that. I'm looking at Lebanon going in the right direction. That's why I'm taking the Blue Devils in this one. Columbia at Green Hill next on the list, and uh, – Kind of split here with uh, the three of us taking the Hawks in this one. 
Yeah, it, this was a this was another one of those games I looked at, and you know, there's a lot to like about this Columbia team. Uh, they uh, their defense, they always seem to have a really good defense, and this year is is not been a whole lot different. Uh, you know, they held Marshall County 78 yards rushing, and they've got an athlete, Q Martin. He touched the ball three times last week and scored on all three of them. Uh, he's just a, a credible athlete. That being said. Green Hill, I think, is playing at a at a, to me. I I know that you know it. To me, they are ahead of schedule, of uh, where they really should be. And I think that Coach Crouch has these guys believing. I think that uh, being at home is going to be a big thing for them. Uh, I, I just like Green Hill. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. And you mentioned Coach Crouch and uh, the kind of enthusiasm and energy he brings to that program. And, and I spoke of this earlier. They're two and one, and they won four of the last five last year. So they got kind of a nice role going. And uh, I'll go right along with being ahead of schedule as far as where they are as a program. Um, you know, I think – I don't know that he's got his team thinking playoffs because maybe that's just too far down the road. Let's take it one week at a time. But I, I like the way they're playing. They're playing hard. There's some talent with that program as well. This is a good Columbia team. I think this would be an excellent win for Green Hill to get on their home field. So I, I think they're focused, and they're going to go out there and make it happen on Friday. We're getting up against them, so let's go ahead and go right to Eagleville and Gordonsville. It's our spotlight game of the week in Class 1A, and we are all going with Gordonsville. I think it's the first time we've ever gone with all <laughs> of the same team, at least, at least in this week anyway. Um, Gordonsville's been pretty good, especially at home, and I, I look for them to – established themselves defensively against the uh, Eagleville team that uh, quite honestly is looking to make some strides this week, guys. What do you think? I think Gordsville, the one thing that seems to be missing from them right now is just effectively running the football like we expect Gordsville to do. Uh, you know, they've got a great athlete and their quarterback, Matthew Albritton. He can throw and he can run, but it's just having that solid running game or that one bell cow running back, if you will, that Gordsville's been known to have. To me, out of that team, you know, I've seen a lot of Gordsville teams over the years. That's the only thing that separates them to me from the really great Gordonsville teams. And I think they could find that. They've got some good line play and they're very good on defense. And uh, I like them in this Eagleville game. I think Gordonsville's going to win and win comfortably. Well, I think that, uh, you know, you look at Eagleville, I, you just don't see the numbers you used to see out of um, Marcus Collins as we saw in the last uh, year or two. Um, they're, they're struggling a little bit on offense, and that is not a good thing to do when you're playing Gordonsville in that defense. Uh, this is not a team that you fix your offense against. Um, yeah, Gordonsville's got some problems running the ball, but they can throw the ball, and that, I think, is going to be a, a big thing. Uh, as you said, Tom, Matthew Albritton, uh, he's a good quarterback, and he can he can find his receivers. I think they'll make just enough plays uh, to, to put uh, – Eagleville on their heels. Tom, you mentioned the uh, lack of a running game. Uh, the number is minus 22. That's how many yards they don't have in the first couple, first three games. Wow. And, and that's just so not Gordsville football. I mean, uh, if you follow them in the past, I mean, that that's always been kind of the uh, what they've been known for. Their trademark, if you will, is just having a good running game. That's just that's got to be driving Scott Clemens absolutely crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. And I think uh, kind of an air raid offense right now for Gordonsville, they're going to be able to throw the ball and use it kind of as a running game, to, as a fact, a running game as well. So the way they've been able to win those first two games so far is through that short passing game and, and just getting yards after the catch, which they've been able to do effectively. And I expect more of that this weekend. And we could see a comfortable Gordonsville win for sure. Not a lot of time left for us, so let's get in a quick last word. Tom? Well, guys, you know, we, we've seen region play open up and start, and, uh, you know, that's always an exciting time. But uh, uh, your hearts are still going out for a lot of these football players, football teams, uh, cheerleaders, you know, band members, everybody that's being affected by COVID. Every game missed is a, is a game for a senior in one of those realms, be it a player, cheerleader, or a band member, or manager, or just anyone that's part of the football program. It's a game missed. It's a memory gone. It's something taken away from, you know, a part of their high school career. And I find that just to be really, really sad. And uh, we all hoped 
just a few months ago, it seemed like these numbers had dwindled and it looked like it was going to be a normal football season. So far, it's been anything but. Thankfully, and we talk about we taped the show on Tuesday night. As of Tuesday, we've only seen uh, one game in our neck of the woods, at least, uh, that's been postponed due to COVID. Guys, I just hope we can see a, an end to this so these kids can enjoy, especially the seniors, can enjoy some special moments this season. A couple things uh, that I didn't mention in the Hendersonville Beach that I am, would be remiss in not mentioning. Uh, first of all, uh, a wonderful touching tribute to the 13 uh, servicemen and women who uh, who passed away in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, very, very well done by Hendersonville and their and their flag corps and color guard. Um, but the other thing was something really good came out of that game from both sides, and that is that they raised uh, over $4,000 uh, for Waverly uh, at that game for their football program and, and for their schools. And I think that when it all boils down at the end of the day, yeah, the rivalries are there on the field. But when we step off the field, when the kids step off the field, when the coaches step off the field, you know, we're all here to support each other. We're, uh, you know, these uh, kids uh, are there to support each other. And I think that's the important thing that we take away is that these high school programs do instill those kind of uh, qualities in these young men. Good point, Scott. And I do like seeing a lot of the camaraderie that the, a lot of the players have with each other. It, it really is a community now more so than it ever has been. A lot of that is because of the recruiting process for sure. And these kids getting together in off season at seven on seven stuff and in other areas. And, uh, you know, you see after the games, the handshake line, a lot of players getting together, chatting for a few minutes. And that's one of those things that I'll take away from actually that beach Hendersonville game. Cause we got a good photo of uh, a couple of beach and Hendersonville players hugging out and, you know, congratulating each other and uh, having a nice word or two. And uh, that's always a nice scene to see after a game is over. Uh, it's a hard fought 48 minutes, but when it's all said and done, Hey, no, we're all human beings on that side. So just uh, shake hands, congratulate each other, be friendly, get on the bus. So that's what we've got to do. We got to get on the bus because this one's over. Uh, For Tom Duggan, for Scott Burton, I'm Chris Brooks. Uh, Thanks for watching the mid state 48 and listening to wherever you get your podcast, make sure to, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel because we'll have more of this content coming throughout the year. We've got to get out of here. Enjoy the games this week. We will talk to you next week. So so long, everybody. Peace. The Mid-State 48, powered by 615 Preps, is a production of B-Squared Media, LLC.